Before we look into the word of God, let's all unite our hearts in prayer. Loving Father in heaven, as we have sung in the hymn that you sought, you sought us when we were so far from you. And why? Because of your great love for mankind. In your love you've gathered us here this morning and we pray that as we will look into your word, your presence may be felt among us and that you will do mighty and wonderful things in the hearts of those that have accepted you as the Lord and Saviour and especially of those that have not yet. Give utterance unto your servant, Lord, not his flesh, but may your Holy Spirit be our teacher and we pray that you'd open each and every heart to receive it in meekness mingled with faith. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear ones, for this morning's text, I'd like to go to a chapter that, uh, or to a book that I've been preparing for a CFG this coming Thursday, Wednesday now it is. And... Um, there are 14 chapters, so there's lots of uh, food for thought here, so I hope we can take up discussion on Wednesday, but just to give an overview of what we're going to be studying, it's taken from the book of Hosea, and the book of Hosea comes right after the book of Daniel. The book of the prophet Hosea, and I'd like to start reading in chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, and the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, which received and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by the bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. Now when she had weaned Lo-Rahamah, she conceived and bare a son. Then said God, call his name Lo-Ami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, 
which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. I've read up to including the last verse of chapter 1. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. In the New Testament, we are very familiar with perhaps the, one of the most favorite parables of the Lord Jesus. And that parable was of the prodigal son. Prodigal meaning wasteful. He was a wasteful son. He wasted his life. He wasted his substance. And he wasted the time that God had given him to live for his purposes and glory. Perhaps the, the counterpart to that in the Old Testament is the wife of Hosea, who we could probably say was a prodigal wife. The reason Jesus brought up the parable of the prodigal son was not primarily to show that someone can go his ways and return and repent and be saved. That is a meaning, but it's not the primary reason. If you recall, the primary reason that motivated Christ to preach on that parable, to speak of that parable, was because around him were Pharisees, scribes, the Jewish people that observed how Jesus was mixing and mingling with publicans and sinners, eating with them, which to the Jew was abominable. And on that, Jesus gave three parables, two of uh, not humans, the coins, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the third one was the lost son, or if you really look closely at it, the lost two sons. And his main goal in that parable of the prodigal son was to show these scribes and Pharisees, these Jews that were so accusatory and judgmental, the father's heart. What kind of a heart does God have? Hosea was in a very similar situation. God had actually told him, if you read very carefully, that he needed to go and take unto himself a wife of whoredoms, a harlot, and to take unto himself children of whoredoms or harlotry. Because he wanted to show, to demonstrate, to the nation of Israel, his father heart. He wanted to show one of his greatest characteristics, the love of God, how much he loved humankind, how much he loved 
the nation of Israel. And he chose Israel in the books of uh, Moses, the first five books, to, to demonstrate through them his character and his glory. And the nation of Israel had gone from a state of, of being um, so committed to God that on the two mounts they would will, they will pronounce the blessings and the cursings in obeying or disobeying the law. And when they had been read and, uh, and recited, they all agreed that they will keep them. Well, it didn't take long after their exile from Egypt, and we won't go into that, it's a long story, but it didn't take long when Israel demanded themselves a king. They wanted to have a king, so perhaps they don't have to face directly God. They can go through a man, maybe that they could manipulate, maybe that they could get favors from, maybe that they could corrupt in some way. They chose a king over God. And when Samuel heard that, he mourned, and, and God says, Don't, they have not rejected you, they've rejected me. And the spiral of depravity and corruption that continued on from that point, Saul immediately turned upon David, immediately he sought to protect his throne. He was, he was envious, should I say, not jealous, envious. And not long after that, it occurred to me as I studied the kings that the first three kings, David, uh, Saul, David, and Solomon, reigned for 40 years each. 40 years they were on the throne. And soon as Solomon died, was about to die, all of a sudden there was a split. Who was going to get the throne? Was it Rehoboam or Jeroboam? And there was a, a revolution or a rebellion, should I say, and, and, and the kingdom of Israel was split north and south. Jeroboam took the kingdom up north to Samaria. Actually, it was, I believe it was Shechem to start with, a capital. And there he, he raised two, go, two calves so that they could worship somebody because Judah had the temple. Judah had the altar of sacrifice. So they began to sacrifice up north to keep the masses coming. Not long after, if you go through the kings of Israel, there were something like 11 dynasties. When it talks about the house of Jehu or the house of Ahab, it talks about a dynasty of rule. And they were protecting their seats. And in doing so, they had committed something like seven murders. Of the six or seven murders that occurred, the kings lasted no more than two years. One lasted for seven days. That's, they had lost completely focus on what their primary aim and goal was on this earth. To serve God, to glorify him. They focused on themselves. They forsook the creator and worshipped the creature, Romans 1 says. And they turned to abominations. Judah was a bit better than, uh, somewhat better than Israel which became the northern tribe, which is also referred to in, 
in, in many cases, especially in the book of Hosea, is Ephraim because Ephraim took the lead. But idolatry predominated. And you will see that <clears throat> in some of these uh, chapters, he enumerates the sins of Israel. It, if we go to chapter 4 of Hosea, verse uh, Two, apart from the idolatry which we have already read about and will continue to read about, apart from the idolatry, they broke the first command, the first law of Moses. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 2, they break five commands in the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. There was continual blood. Before the other one had been forgotten, there was more bloodshed. Because they began to idolize themselves and forsook the living God. But they don't understand. And Hosea, I'm sure, did not understand the kind of God that he was dealing with, that Israel was dealing with. As I read through the book of Isaiah, I found several quotes which are quoted in the New Testament that seem to be mirrored in Revelation, especially also in the books of the Apostle Paul, the letters that he wrote. And the the task that was given to Hosea to preach to a people that had wanted nothing to do with him. Jeremiah wasn't in much of a different situation. You read Jeremiah chapter 1. God says, I want you to speak to these people. You're going to be there for the rising up and the fall, pulling down. You're going to be rooting up, plucking out. And Jeremiah said, I'm just a child. God says, don't be afraid of their faces. Don't be afraid of their faces. And Hosea, I'm sure, was, was uh, met with this kind of attitude day in and day out. It is believed that he probably prophesied, for, was at least on the scene for 40 years. He was in the presence of about five kings of Judah, and at least a couple of kings of Israel. And Hosea had to face this great task of fulfilling the word of the Lord in marrying a prostitute. Now, it boggles my mind. God told Hosea to marry a harlot when there was a penalty of death in the Old Testament for someone that, that would marry of such a nature? It doesn't say that he had a previous wife. I'm assuming that was his first wife. The question comes, though, I thought about that. 
it is not quite clear whether he married a woman that later on became a harlot or he married a harlot, period. If you look at it simplistically, he says to take unto himself a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. And it appears that she bare to him a son, but were they his son, sons and were they his daughter? Can you imagine taking someone that you would be mocked and, and, and embarrassed and shamed in front of the nation Israel when he was speaking to the nation of Israel to depart from their, their whoredoms and they say to him that you have married one, you have children of a harlot. And yet, Hosea feared not their faces. He was very sure what God had told him. And what God had told him was given to him first and foremost to recognize the kind of God that he was dealing with and the nation of Israel was dealing with. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel. For a little while I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. He married, he married this harlot. She brings forth the son, Jezreel. And every name that God gave to the ch children through the prophet Hosea had a meaning. And in this case, he was going to avenge Jehu. Just imagine, Jehu seemed to be a hero. When God told him to wipe out the sons of Ahab. And he would say, no, the zeal of the Lord. And he wiped out those sons of, of Ahab. But he himself later on departed not from the sins of their fathers. And God had not forgotten this. God said, I'm going to visit and take vengeance upon Jehu. Even though Jehu did the service of the Lord. You know, God does not forget what we have done. Whether it was 20 years ago, whether it was two days ago, we think that time forgives sin. It does not forgive sin. Sin leaves an indelible mark upon us that we are fallen creatures. And that we have violated the law of the living God. And God will deal with sin. The Old Testament says, the books of uh, uh, Moses, that your sin will find you out. Then he has two more ch children. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. And God said unto him, call her name Lo-Ruhamah. For I will have no mercy upon the house of Israel. Ruhamah means to have mercy. Lo means not to have mercy. He gave this symbolic name, which was her real name. And through that object lesson, to, remind, to show Israel that he will not have any more mercy. Their sin had reached the heavens. And he's going to punish them for it. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah. They didn't sin as much. 
and will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by sword nor by uh, bow nor by battle, by horses nor by horsemen. And this happened. Do you remember when this happened? When God delivered Judah without any efforts by the armies of Judah? When the 185,000 Assyrians circled Jerusalem And in one night, the angel of the Lord destroyed 185,000 men. It came to pass. Now when she had weaned Luharama, she conceived and bare a son and said, God call his name Loami, for ye are not my people and I will not be your God. These words seem final. And they were final. And whatever God said was going to happen to Israel will happen. This happened probably, this prophecy probably happened within a half a century. I can't remember the exact date, but within a half a century because Assyria invaded uh, Israel around about 700 uh, BC. And this happened around about 750, 730, 720, this prophecy. So within half a century the prophecies that were written by Hosea came to pass. And Nahum, the other prophet, when the time was coming even closer, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, prophesied how he was going to do it. He specified specifics on how. And on top of that, how Assyria will then be judged because of what they did. That's a mystery. God uses men to do his purpose, but the nation that do unjustly in their proceedings, like Jehu did, even though Jehu was called by God to destroy the sons of Ahab, yet because of his disobedience, God judged him. He says, and you call her name, his name Lo-Ami, for ye are not my people. Lo, not my people, Ami. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered, and it shall come to pass in that place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there shall be said unto them, ye are the sons of of the living God. Those of you that are familiar with the book of Romans, this is what was quoted by the Apostle Paul in chapter 9. When the Apostle Paul was, was um, trying to answer the question as to, has God forsaken his people? Has God forgotten Israel? What happened to the prophecy of the Messiah coming and saving Israel? And Paul was struggling within himself because it was his kindred in the flesh that he grieved and mourned over. And he said, oh, that I could just wish myself accursed, Israel. Has God forgotten his promises? Has God gone back on his promises? And then he went through the nations, how God raised up individuals and, and uh, 
through these individuals raised up nations, the line of the Messiah coming through Jacob, Isaac, David. God's promises aren't void. God works in ways that are far higher than we can understand. And Paul quotes this in the book of Romans. I'm not sure if it's at the end of 9 or in in 10. How he says, You who were once not my people will be called my people. You who were once not beloved will be beloved. And he was speaking now of the nations apart from Israel, the Gentiles, how God will bring Gentiles in. And the seed of Abraham will be as the sand of the sea. Abraham will be the father of all that believe, including Jews and Gentiles. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and anoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, and great shall be the day of Jezreel. That's the introduction. That's the introduction. Now, God doesn't leave it there. As much as their sin was, and we've read, the, 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 they've broken almost, if not every command in the law of Moses. He talks about Hosea's personal life in chapters 1 to 3. This is what you've got to do, Hosea. This is what I want you to do, as, as obnoxious and offensive as it may be. And as much as you may be criticized and accused of, of, of living with a harlot, I want to teach you a lesson. And I want Israel to learn through this lesson. Remember what happened to the prodigal son? He took his substance, the possession that he asked from his father, and he went into a distant land, and he spent it with riotous living and with harlots. What happened? He was... So hungry, he went to the lowest of the low, worked with pigs, tending pigs, which was an abomination to the Jew. He would have eaten the husks that were fed to the pigs, but they weren't, he wasn't worthy of them. He wanted, the farmer wanted the pigs to eat them. And then he said to himself, how many servants does my father have and here I perish with hunger I know what I'm going to do I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to tell him that I've sinned against heaven and against him I'm no more worthy to be called his son I don't know how Hosea 1 to 3 fits in here chronologically, but there's a verse that says in chapter 3 of Hosea, well, let's start from verse 1. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel. 
who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and a homer of barley and a half of homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide with me many days, and thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man, so will I be also for thee. Can you imagine if in fact what happened was while he was still married to this woman, Gomer, that she would go out and have her one-night stands with other men. And she'd go out and she'd play the harlot for money and for gold and for anything that would tantalize her lusts. And she'd lie to her husband and she'd cheat on her husband and she'd come back and the baby that he had was not his. And it may have happened three times. That would be a no-brainer to this world. They'd ditch him the first time on any inkling of, of infidelity. But God says, you go and love her. You go and love the unlovable. That so humbles me. When God says, you go and you love the unlovable. We don't worship other gods, do we? We don't bow down to Baal or Ashtaroth. We don't do that. But are we in some ways guilty of not loving the unlovable? What happens? When you have a brother or a sister that should know better, why are they acting this way? Why have they chosen to go this way? Why have they turned their back on God? Why are they roaming the streets when they know better? Their parents taught them better. And we get angry and we get upset. I remember talking to a sister when my children were roaming the streets of this world. Perhaps feeling a little bit sorry for myself. And her first response to me was, Brother Doug, are you feeling this way? Because it's an embarrassment to you. Because you're an elder. Because they're not good examples of eldest children. Is that why you're feeling this way? I said, no. 
That's not the reason. I feel that way because I, I know they, they're lost. They're going down the wrong path. And if they keep going, it'll be irretrievable, irredeemable. Hosea didn't care what people thought of his move. God taught Hosea to love with the heart of God. Because as he taught Hosea to love this harlot, he also taught Hosea to love the nation of Israel, whom God had loved with an everlasting love, the scripture says. And I can just picture, I don't know what happened here, the Bible is not clear in the detail, but, but maybe she offended one of her lovers and the one that gave her so much and now she refused and she, he sent her off to the auction. He sent this prostitute to the auction and she was bid upon. So many homers of barley, so many pieces of silver. And Hosea in his Grief and mourning over his wayward wife comes to the auction. And he sees her there in a miserable state. Shameful. Miserable. And he bids far more than anyone would bid there for her. And says 15 pieces of silver. I want it back. There's so many lessons here. I could go off into salvation. I could go off into marriages. Where we're willing to give up on our marriage. Because of things that were said and done. Because what he said to me. Is how he behaves. Jesus, uh, the Apostle Paul says that we are to love our wives as we love our own bodies. Jesus says to his disciples that greater love hath no man than this, that he would lay down his life. For his friends, how much more for your wife or your husband or your children? It humbles me. It so humbles me to know the love that God had for his own. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. They turned over the Son of God to the hands of angry men 
for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus says, I don't buy you with 30 pieces of silver. I buy you with the life of the Son of God. I don't care what men say of me. I don't care if I left the courts of glory and men mock me and think that I'm filled with a devil, that I'm mad, that I don't have an earthly home, that all my friends have forsaken me, that men spit in my face, they pierce my side, they put a crown on my head of thorns. They rail me, accuse me, They say, crucify him. Do you know how much God loved you? I once wrote to my daughter in an email recently. I said, you don't see this, but I love you this much. And I said, I'm stretching out my hands. Brings me to a verse in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 3. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened by might, by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. How much does he love you? Enough to stretch out his arms on the cross and be crucified. Enough to say before he was crucified, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Enough to come back after his disciples had fled from him and denied him. Enough to say, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Enough to come to doubting Thomas and not rebuke him or scold him. Say, Thomas, put your hands in my side and your fingers in my prints of my hands and feet. And Thomas kneels and he says, My Lord and my God. When, and, and, and I hear this a lot, when someone comes to me and says, you know, I feel so unworthy, I feel I've sinned against God, I don't know how many times he's going to forgive me, I'm, it's bringing me to depression. Do you know how many times he's going to forgive you? 
as much as he loves you. You know how much he loves you? This much. And when he saves you, and when he saves you, because he loved you, we love him because he first loved us. Because he loved you, you love him. And then when he asks you to do something, it's not a chore. It's not a, do I have to? I serve you because I love you. It becomes a privilege to serve the living God. God is not the God of one strike and you're out. God is going to hunt you down. He's going to hunt you down. He's going to pursue you. And his love is going to win you over. Don't reject him. Don't turn him away. My dear brother and sister, try to love the unlovable. And then you begin to feel and understand what the real love of God is about. May the Lord bless his word. The nation of Israel fell into idolatry. They broke the first and foremost commandments. And it was mentioned that we don't, at least I hope not, worship other idols and gods today, but what is idolatry really? Idolatry is giving, ascribing worth to something that is above God. When you ascribe worth to something that is above God, you give your love to that thing above God. It's really idolatry, isn't it? James says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, Whence comes fightings and wars among you? You desire to have and you have not, you kill. They go to extremes in getting what they want and in so doing, violating the law of God, the law of love. And when you idolize something that is above God, you become like it. Did you know that? When you worship something, you become like the thing you worship. When your job means far more than God, you become a workaholic. 
when you put relationships with the opposite sex above God, you could easily become a fornicator, a harlot. Pornography is nothing but adultery in the heart. Your sin will find you out. But even with all of that, God loves you enough that he warns you and pleads with you and begs you to come back to love the one you really ought to give your love to because he made you and he wants to save you. And when we worship Christ, when we worship God, we will become like him. We will learn how to love like God. We will learn how to relate with others as God does. Become conformed to his image. May the Lord bless this word to all of our hearts. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.